really do uh, am grateful to be here today. I consider it a real honor to be here. And yes, Bubba Justice is my real name. <laughs> That's not my given name. My given name is L.G. Eugene Justice Jr. And so most people say, now we know why you go by Bubba. Uh, and as you can tell, I'm from the South. And as I was listening to Shannon and Gino give their announcements, I said, man, they talk fast. And so I don't have a, a speed-up button, which sometimes creates a problem because I will be thinking faster than what I am speaking. And so sometimes words come out of my mouth that I do not understand. Uh, one time I was preaching and was talking about the harvest that God was sending the church into. And I said, it's not like God's going to send some giant concubine to come. I meant to say combine. <laughs> Another time I, I'm preaching on the uh, a life well lived and I'm reading these obits. And I said, Mrs. Smith, Mrs. Smith was known for her continence. <laughs> I said, well, maybe it's better than not being or being known for your incontinence, but I meant to say countenance. Uh, and so sometimes I'll do that, and sometimes my accent will get in the way. I was preaching about Jonah, or I was preaching about the woman by the whale. And I said, no, that was Jonah in the whale. I said, no, you know, a whale, you know, you get water out of a whale. And, and, and in my southern accent, I just couldn't make that pronunciation difference. Hey, so I am so honored to be here. Uh, wanted to introduce you to my family. I think you got a picture up here. Uh, on the far end is my oldest daughter. Her name's Jessalyn. Uh, she is the online news editor for Charisma uh, Magazine and Publishing, and she gets to do things like interview Francis Chan and, and uh, uh, talk to Kirk Cameron and to Stephen Baldwin and, and all of these things. And, uh, man, she gets to do the job that I always wanted to do. And then uh, my youngest daughter just got married in December, and... Uh, she uh, is a Spanish teacher, and she had worked in inner-city Houston schools, and she refused to change her last name, Justice, when she got married because she said God prophetically gave her that name, and she was going to right all the wrongs that there is in society. And so she is out there uh, uh, wanting to change everything. And then that's my son-in-law, who is a Ph.D. candidate in chemistry education. So, uh, and my oldest daughter gets married on November 24th, so uh, we've had a busy uh, year. Uh, this is my wife, Melanie. On August 29th, we celebrate our 31st anniversary. And, so, and she has not killed me yet. She took serious the vows that said, till death do us part. So divorce is not an option, murder is. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and uh, just to give you a little history about myself so you know where I'm coming from. I actually have been a Christian most of my life. I got saved when I was five years old at 50th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Sunday night, 1969, the pastor was preaching on the book of Revelation. So if you were around any of those times or heard about this, I mean, everything was about Jesus coming back at any moment. And, and the pastor that night said, if you aren't saved, giant grasshoppers will eat you. 
And I remember as a five-year-old, the thought of being eaten by a giant grasshopper absolutely terrified me. And then uh, they started playing the song by a guy named Larry Norman called I Wish We'd All Been Ready. And that's currently a theme song for this show on HBO called The Leftovers. And it says, if you're left behind, you know, you're not going to be able to eat all of this. And then something even more terrifying took place. My four-year-old sister was about to walk the aisle. And she was going to ask Jesus into her heart before I asked Jesus into my heart. And I remember saying, I cannot let that happen. And I ran out of the pew, knocked her out of the way, and ran down and, and said, I want Jesus in my heart before my sister gets Jesus in her heart. Now, when you have that type of experience, you say, now, am I really a follower of Jesus? And every time I'd hear an evangelist preach, every time the preacher would preach, I'd raise my hand. Yes, I'm, I was one of those that said, yes, I see your hand again and again and again. And I struggled with whether I was a follower of Jesus until I was 16 years old, even though I went to church every week. Until I was 16, I was on a bed in Texas City, Texas. I was living with my father, and I came across the verse in Romans where it says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved if they believe in their heart God raised him from the dead and they confess with their mouth Jesus is Lord. And at that moment, I knew not only that I was saved, but I'd been saved since I was five. And and you don't have to believe a bunch of stuff to be a follower of Jesus. You don't have to have the right doctrine. You don't have to have the right political spectrum. You can be all over the place It only starts with believing that Jesus was real, that he died, and that God raised him from the dead, and then you tell other people that Jesus gets to be the boss of your life. That's what it means to be saved. We've always got to start in that one place. And so I am, as uh, Gino said, the national coordinator for the vineyard, which means I get to do everything Phil Strout does not want to do. No, and I actually... uh, my job description is this. I, 50% of my job is to run the businesses of the vineyard. I'm a CPA uh, because I got kicked out of Bible college for speaking in tongues. Uh, straight out of high school, I was in Bible college and went to a college that didn't believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And somebody turned me in and uh, they asked me to leave. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, I want you to get a business degree. Went and got a business degree. Had no idea that I could do accounting. That did not enter into my mind. Little boys do not grow up thinking, hey, when I grow up, I want to be an accountant. Uh, But uh, I ended up finding I was really good at it. Worked for an international accounting firm. Developed, God gave me strategies. I'd be sitting in clients and God would give me ideas that saved them millions of dollars. And I had senior partners of the accounting firm said, okay, Bubba, where did you come up with that idea? I said, God gave it to me. And then uh, God called me into being a pastor. And uh, I pastored for 23 years until two years ago uh, when Phil Stroud asked me to do this job. uh, And I turned him down four or five times. Uh, And uh, I remember I was sitting in church on July the 17th in 2016 and we were singing the song if you say go I'll go and the Holy Spirit said I don't want you to sing the song if you're not going to do what it says so I just stopped singing (laughs) can I just tell you I'm just real honest I don't try to pretend to be something I'm not very next song is I see the Lord high and lifted up and there's this refrain that says here am I send me and the Holy Spirit said 
do not sing the song if you're not going to be obedient. I said, okay, I won't sing the song. And uh, that whole week, the Holy Spirit dealt with me. And at the end of the week, I called up Phil and said yes uh, to the job. So that's what I've been doing. Uh, And uh, when Gino and I were talking about being here, if you want to go to the next slide, uh, uh, we're in this series called Can We All Get Along Together? And then uh, he specifically asked me to talk about how we develop as Christians. So if you want to go on to the next slide, uh, we are not dependent, we are not independent, but we're interdependent on one another. And so uh, when you think about this, uh, and today I'll be using several different translations as I go through. Part of that is in my seminary training. One of the things that we had a Greek and Hebrew professor come into a class that I was taking and said, let me give you the easy way to do Greek and Hebrew. Hey, I'm for the easy way of Greek and Hebrew. I'm I'm like, when it comes to languages, I'm like in the remedial section. Uh, I I just have struggled with languages. So when he said, I'll give you the easy way, he said, always read the scripture that you're going to preach or teach out of, out of four or five different translations. And you will see all the nuances of the Greek or the Hebrew that you can, more so than if you were to read it in the original Hebrew and original Greek, because most of us can't give our life to studying and understanding that. So read those different ones. So you'll see me use different translations. So in the very first uh, scripture that I've got have, I'm coming from Hebrews 13, 17, and it's out of the message, and it says this, be responsive to your pastoral leaders Listen to their counsel. They are alert to the condition of your lives and work under the strict supervision of God. Contribute to the joy of their leadership, not its drudgery. Why would you want to make things harder for them? Now, I chose this translation because of the way it translated two different phrases. First phrase, uh, be responsive to your pastoral leaders. Now, if you were to go and read it in any other translation, this is the worst translation of that. But all the rest of them says, obey your spiritual leaders. And we live in America. And there's no way we're going to obey a spiritual leader. So you'd immediately tune me out if I chose that translation. So be responsive to your spiritual leaders is one translation. The second is, is actually, it goes on to say, for they watch over your soul. What that means is, They are alert to the condition of your lives. And so I have a question for you. Who, and and I really want you to write this down. If you take notes on the back of your bulletin, there's a whole blank spot. I want you to answer this question. There will be a test afterwards. Who is alert to the condition of your soul? Who can tell you if I were to ask them or ask you, who knows all your secrets that is a godly person, could you name that person? Now, if you want to go on to the next slide, uh, just want to frame this message uh, and to go on to the next one as well uh, in the context of David and Samson. Remember those two characters from the Bible? Two of the things you learn about in Sunday school, well, you learn some of the things about Samson in Sunday school, not all the stuff about Samson. They both lived within a few generations of one another. 
They both were called by God at a young age. They both were used by God. They both uh, fell sexually. Why did David fulfill God's purpose in his life and Samson did not? What set them apart? What's the difference? Not one name is given as a friend of Samson. He was a loner. Bathsheba, his girlfriend's name was given, but you'll never find another person who was his friend. There's a reference to his companion. Go back, when I first heard this, I said, are you sure about that? Go back, check me out. His companion, but you don't get any friends' names that are in there. Uh, He... But David, on the other hand, you can't read David's life without finding godly men who, who surrounded him, who challenged him, who spoke into his life. And so today, if you want to go to the next slide, I want to talk about six friends everyone needs. And this is based on a teaching by a man named Nate Larkin, who uh, I heard at a men's retreat, 10 or so years ago. But you know, it's so imprinted into my soul that I have adopted it. I have changed its name. I have made it my own. But I want to acknowledge the idea originally came with him. But I've taught this in Africa, in Asia, to regional leadership teams. Uh, and I promise you, I am not exaggerating. If you'll implement what I'm talking about today, your spiritual life will be accelerated. And you'll make it to the end. You'll fulfill your purposes for God in your life. Every one of us needs help, and we have help to give. Every one of us struggle at some point with loneliness. If you're a leader, you struggle with finding friends. You can talk about in honest detail uh, friends that you can show your weakness to. Man, all you got to do is read the news. Bill Hybels, right up here near Chicago. Man of God that's been used tremendously to impact the church for the good had secrets that somebody didn't confront him on that we know of. Years ago, there's a guy named uh, Ted Haggard who's president of the National Association of Evangelicals. He made the most profound revelation when he w- when he got found out. He wrote a letter to his church. He said, I got tired of telling people about my weaknesses. Now, if you and I are going to fulfill God's purposes in our life, we've got to have people that are are aware of the condition of our souls. So there's six people who carry you in death. You ever seen a funeral? Three pallbearers on one side or the other, unless you're a really big guy. Then they might have to have four. So you might need more than uh, six, but the six people who carry you in life or who carry you in death need to carry you in life. Uh, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, this is out of the New Living Translation. I think you should have a slide up there. He, God, is the one who gave these gifts to the church, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up his church until we come to some the same 
to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature and be full grown in the full measure of the stature of Christ. If the church needs five different types of people to speak into it so that it can be all that God wants it to be, how much more do you and I need six or five or six different types of people that speak into our lives so that we can be all that God has called us to be. And I want to illustrate this through the life of David. And I'm going to challenge you that as I'm going through, that as people come to your mind that have fulfilled these functions in your life, that you'll write them down. So the first question I've got, who's your apostle? Who is that person? Now, now, When I use the term apostle, some people, depending on your background, you're going to go to the super hyper-spiritual stuff. I don't want you to go there. I'm going to define apostle in a very small a terminology. Who calls you to your greater purpose? Who is that person that speaks to you and calls you to who God created you to be? I want to submit to you that in David's life, it was Samuel. 1 Samuel 16, 13. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the olive oil he had brought and poured it on David's head. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him from that time forward. Now just think about this for for a second. Here's David. He's just a kid. He's out in the field. He's learning a business. About this time, biblical scholars think he's 13 to 16 years old. Just a little kid. He loves God. We know that because it says that he wrote worship songs. He loves God and depended on God because we know that he said that God protected him from wild animals. But he's just a shepherd. He's just this ordinary kid. And all of a sudden, he gets this message from his father. There's a person here, and he's asking for you. David goes there, and Samuel looks at him and says, God has anointed you to be the future king of Israel. At that moment, David's destiny was called out. Who's called out your destiny? Who's that person now? I'm going to share some people in my life. Some of them are not currently functioning in this way. Some of them have passed away. One of the people in my life that served as an apostolic figure was a seventh grade Sunday school teacher. My father abandoned us when I was five years old. I have three younger siblings did not have a godly influence in my house. Though I was raised in the church, went to Sunday school. When I got into seventh grade, all of a sudden I had a man of God in my life. And he taught us the things that Sunday school teachers are supposed to teach. We went through the lesson. But every week he taught us some spiritual lessons. He taught us how to tithe. And so as seventh grade Sunday school boys were writing out his check, he did not write out his check. He, wrote, he waited for us. $100 to the church. to the building fund every week. He said, boys, if you don't learn how to tithe on a dollar, if you don't give a dime on a dollar, you'll never give a dollar on $10. You'll never give $10 on a hundred. You'll never give a hundred on a thousand. You'll never give a thousand on 10,000. You've got to learn to honor God. But he went beyond those spiritual lessons. Now, anytime we answered the right spiritual question, he gave us a silver dollar. Now, I'm always motivated by money and competition. So I was coming home every Sunday with a silver dollar in my pocket. 
But he went beyond the, the typical Sunday school lesson. He said, boys, you're 13 years old. You're going to start to notice that those girls sure do look nice. And you're going to get up and you're going to start kissing them one time and you're all of a sudden going to realize something's happening and you're going to get excited and you need to go take a cold shower. Southern Baptist, seventh grade, Sunday school teacher, teaching us how to be men of God. And then he looked at me and he took particular interest in me and says, Bubby, you can be anything you want to be in your life. Now, I was poor. We were on government food stamps. We ate the free lunch. Every article of clothes I had had been given to me. But he looked at me and said, your destiny is more than what you see it is. He said, I believe in you. Anything you need, I will give to you. I'll help you do that. Every Sunday that I saw him in church, he said, Bubba, you can be whatever you want to be. He called out my destiny. And when he died, I was at his funeral, and the church was filled with seventh grade Sunday school boys, ranging in age, 50-year age range. He had taught that Sunday school class for 50 years. He called out many people's destiny. One of the guys shared the story. He had taken us cave exploring. He let us drive his car. I mean, he did, he did all these things I would never imagine doing for a 13-year-old. Uh, but I remember one of the guys shared that he was in a cave with him one time, and there's about a 30-foot drop, and a little boy froze, and he couldn't get across the ledge. And Dick Dawson laid down and made himself a human bridge and let the little boy cross over him. And then he told the little boy, he said, that's what Jesus did for us. We couldn't get to God, and Jesus made himself that bridge to God. And when I was an accountant working for Ernst & Young, international accounting firm, Dick Dawson went up to one of the managing partners. He played tennis. He's well-connected with business. He said, I want you to know that that Bubba guy, he's the best accountant you got. You need to pay attention to him. So I had the senior partner says, what in the world do you have know with this guy that comes in here and tells me you're the best person that I've got. We had 120 accountants and this man is still speaking into my destiny. And after he passed away, his wife uh, called me up and said, Bubba, Dick Dawson wants you to have, Dick wanted you to have all the silver dollars he had left over. And you know, in my wallet, I carry a dollar to remind me a coin dollar and it's not one of the ones he gave me. There's a coin dollar that every time that I pull that out of my wallet, I know that I have a destiny because someone spoke a destiny to my life. <laughs> Who's that person for you? Now here's something else. Are you that person to somebody else? Who knew that working with seventh grade Sunday school boys could shape the future of multiple people. It's very important. Who's your apostle? Who's that person speaking to your destiny? And then it goes on. This is this prophetic guy uh, that David have. Who's your prophet in your life? Uh, in David's life, this man after God's own heart got into a situation where he's in the wrong place 
at the wrong time and he did the wrong thing. He had an affair, well really he had a rape of a woman. They got pregnant, he tried to cover it up. When that didn't work, he had a man killed and he is the king, the person with all the power, had the ability to brush it up underneath the carpet. No one ever found out. Problem is, God had this little thing called prophets. First time prophets come on the scene is when kings came around. They were the counterbalance to the power of the king. And Nathan was David's friend, and one day Nathan comes in and says, Hey, King David, let me tell you a story about a man who stole a sheep that belonged to somebody else. And David got so furious, he said, That man should uh, pay back multiple times. Uh, he said, We're not going to have any of this ungodliness going on. And Nathan said, and we got that scripture up there. Look, Nathan said to David, you are that man, the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king of Israel, saved you from the power of Saul, and look what you've done. Notice that Nathan didn't let his friendship interfere with speaking the truth of what God wanted. Do you have a prophetic person in your life that spoils your party when your party needs spoils? I've got this 70-year-old woman in our church that for 20 years she was part of our church. She prayed for me. And when I say prayed, it's not just at a distance. Every Wednesday she'd pray over me like for an hour. She'd encourage me. She'd correct me. She'd rebuke me. And just two weeks ago after church, I said, man, I haven't had a good prayer over me since I've been in this position. I went forward, had her pray for me. Well, she's praying for me. She says, I see a crown of thorns over your head. Uh, that's one reason most people don't like to hang around with prophetic type people because they say things like that. And I said, well, Jesus asked that he could be delivered from, well, let's, let's pray that I can be delivered from any suffering. And then as she's praying, she says, Baba, says, what I see is a lady in red coming up and I, I really think you're going to be struggling or going to have to really fight against sexual temptation. And see, as a five-year-old, part of the problem that I ran into, actually was seven, I was exposed to pornography for the first time in my life. When I was 11, I had a stepfather movie in that brought in every form of pornography that you can think of. When I was 14, I had HBO Cinemax put into our house. We couldn't afford food, we couldn't afford clothes, but we got cable. I mean, it's crazy. And I was watching adult programming even though I was a follower of Jesus. To this day, if you were to look at my phone or my computer, you'll see I have covenant eyes on there because I cannot trust myself because I'm sometimes like that foolish man that Solomon talks about in the book of Proverbs who walks down a street, and I haven't gone into someone, but sometimes I get too close to the street and I need to have covenant eyes that sends out an alarm that says, hey, you're too close. And because I had this prophetic person in my life that says, hold on, Bubba, you just need to be aware of, you, you, you might be going too close to the place you shouldn't be going to. You got somebody like that in your life? 
that's willing to tell you the truth, that's willing to speak very hard things to you. They can hear God's voice, his perspective. They may not be very popular. They're concerned with what God wants. They will spoil your party if it needs to be spoiled. Aren't you, do you have a Janita you can write down? Do you have a Nathan that you can write down? I want you to write down, if you've got someone like that in your life, I want you to write that down. And then you've got, and again, these are all people who are aware of the condition of your soul, the condition of your life. Who's your evangelist? Who's, who's that person that's concerned with bringing other people in your life? Who's that person that you know that makes Jesus big? See, I think David was this in his story. David was always making God big. David was always bringing people around. Do you have someone in your life that's always challenging you to make Jesus big? In my life right now, that's Phil Stroud, our national director. He will, on a regular basis, said, are you making Jesus big in your life? Not just to me, to others. He is the kindest man. Now, I, I want you to know this. This is the man that's leading the vineyard. He has little reminder that pops up on his computer at 11 o'clock that says, have I been kind to everybody I've interacted with today? 11 a.m. It's easy to work for a man like that. Who's, who's that person in your life? And then, uh, who's your pastor? Who's concerned with how you are now, when I use the term pastor in the vineyard, we label any leader of a church as the pastor, whether their gift mix means that or not. So now I'm not saying if I say, who's your pastor? You say, well, that's easy. That's Gino and Shannon. Well, even if that was their gift mix, and I'm not saying it is or isn't, they could not possibly truly know the condition of every single person here. You've got to have other people in your life. I will contend that that person in David's life was Jonathan. If you want to go to that scripture, second, or 1 Samuel 23, 16. Jonathan went to find David and to encourage him to stay strong in his faith in God. Who's that person that comes to you and encourages you to stay strong in your faith in God? Biblical scholars believe that Jonathan was about 20 years older than David. So they weren't like naturally good friends just because they were buddies, but there was something that had their hearts together. At one point, Jonathan risked his life for David when he hid David and his father saw through a spirit Jonathan, not just at David, but through a spirit Jonathan as well. Sort of reminds me of what Jesus said, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You got anybody in your life that lays down their life for you in my life right now, it's John Stearns, who's the uh, regional leader for the Southeast. Man, he's, he will call me. He'll check on me. We've been friends since 1994. We've been, we served as area leaders together. We served uh, together on leadership teams. He was my regional leader, and then I became the national coordinator, so in some sense I'm his leader, but on a regular basis, almost Every other week, I will get a text, an email, a phone call from John. He says, Bubba, how are you? How, how, how are you doing? Now, how, I don't care about the job. How are you 
doing. Do you have anybody in your life like that? Are you that for somebody else? Now, what I want you to know is your pastor, the person who functions as a pastor in your life, won't often function as a prophet voice in your life because they're almost incompatible. One's going to get in your face and, and they don't care how it makes you feel. The other person's going to come and comfort you. So you need different people. No one person can fulfill all of the needs, all the discipleship needs you have in your life. One of the fallacies that we have in the way that we do church is that we look for one mentor. We will look for one discipler. We look for one friend. And God's created us where we actually need a variety of people involved in our lives so that we can be fully who God's created us to be. And then... Who's your teacher? Who's that person that's showing you the things that you need to learn, who's concerned with teaching you the truth? In David's life, it was, and if you want to go to the scripture, it was Zadok or Abiathar. Uh, And there's a story where David has started to move the Ark of the Covenant and they put it on the back of an ox cart and it moved and somebody touched it and they got struck dead and And it's because he wasn't doing it right. Needed someone to come in and to explain the right things. And David had these men in his life that were there to, to instruct him. Who do you have that's teaching you the things that you need to be taught? In my life, the example that stands out to me is... uh, uh, the pastor that planted me out in the vineyard was a guy named Lamar Junkins. Now, Lamar was a Southern Baptist pastor. And I met him and became in this relationship with him when I was a senior in high school. I decided as a Southern Baptist to go to a Jimmy Swagger crusade because I heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We didn't talk about that in the Baptist church. Went there, went down front when it was time for ministry time. And it was the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. There are people laying on the floor. There are people screaming. There are people speaking in other languages. And someone came up to me and said, what do you want? And with wide eyes, I said, I think I want the Holy Spirit. And they grabbed hold of my neck. And they said, if you'll say, praise Jesus, praise Jesus, praise Jesus, real fast over and over and over, you'll get to get the tongues. And they started squeezing my neck. And I knew if I didn't say something, they wouldn't let go. And so something came out and they said, okay, he's got it. And they went to their next victim. No, I mean, next person they were going to pray for. Now, I found out later on that if you squeeze real tight on both these arteries, you cut off oxygen to the brain. And some of those people weren't slain in the spirit. They were in a charismatic sleeper hold. And... After that experience, I turned around and there was Lamar Junkins. Now, I'd gone to some of his summer camps when I was a kid. I'd visited his church once. My mother went to his church and I said, what are you doing here? He said, what are you doing here? He invited me out to lunch and he said, Bubba, I'm a senior in high school. He said, we cast demons out of somebody the other night. I said, I want to cast demons out of somebody. How'd you do it? And he told me. He didn't know what I was about to do. That Friday night, I took a friend of mine out to a park where he used to smoke dope, and I said, we're going to cast demons out of one another. (laughs) And he said, okay. 
He tried to cast something out of me. Nothing happened. I looked at him and I said, Bart, in Jesus' name, you dope-smoking demon, you come out of Bart. And all of a sudden, his head started turning and his eyes were rolled back in his head in a deep voice. He says, I'm about to beat you. Now, I don't read instructions till I got to. And the only thought that was going through my mind was the seven sons of Sceva from the book of Acts where these guys tried to cast a demon out of someone. The man beat them up, stripped them naked. They ran out to the streets. Well, this wasn't just a part where they smoked dope. It's also where some of the people hung out for homosexual encounters. I did not want to be running naked through that park <laughs> at 11 o'clock at night. And I jumped out of the car and went and called uh, the uh, pastor, Lamar, and I said, Lamar, help. Demons have got hold of Bart. Now, he lived 45 minutes away. He happened to be 10 minutes from us. He got to where we were, and he took care of the demons, and then he taught me how to take care of the demons. And, you know, that man taught me how to be a pastor. He taught me to value the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, so he, he went a little long. If you think Gino preaches long, we would have six-hour services, not just in revival time. Uh, and, uh, and it was, it was rough. <laughs> but we had, uh, he taught me to say, don't discount the Holy Spirit because you don't like the package it comes in. And so, for example, we had the weirdest, I was sharing this with Gino and Shannon last night, had the weirdest prophetic couple that I've ever seen. I'd put them against any of your weirdos. <laughs> he would come and speak in tongues, do hand motions, and use props to pray over someone. She would come behind them and interpret the tongue, the props, and the hand motions. Now, the reason I know it was real, because they called me up as a 19-year-old, made me stand in front of the church, hold up my arm, said, this is a lonely arm, but they begin to prophesy. And said, one of the ways that you're going to know your wife is that she's going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit at five years old, speaking in tongues. Well, I was raised Southern Baptist. I didn't even know that was possible. And so I go off to the Air Force, go off to basic training, police academy, come back home. There's this beautiful young woman that started coming to church. I'm hanging out with her one night. We're talking, not dating, talking. He said, yeah, when I was five, I asked my Sunday school teacher if I could be filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. I said, oh, really? <laughs> now, I did not tell her about the prophetic word because then she didn't want to have anything to do with me because as a youth pastor, I was obnoxious and I shot her in the face with a water gun in front of the youth group <laughs> and she said a cuss word. And, uh, <laughs> but then she came around and she asked me to marry her a few months later. Uh, <laughs> She's not here, so I can say that version of the story. But you know, what I want you to know is that Lamar Junkins, that man, gave me the opportunity to preach as a 19-year-old preaching. He gave me an opportunity to learn leadership. He invited me on the elder team as a 19-year-old. He taught me how to, how to pray for people. He taught me how to cast out demons. He taught me how to have words of knowledge. Who's that teacher in your life that's just equipping you, that's just putting these things into you? Do you have someone in your life like that? And then finally, I would add one more thing in there. Who's your companion? 
Who's just that person that's with you no matter what? Who's, who's that buddy? This is the last one, I promise. Uh, who's that person that's always with you? If you look at David, he had this bodyguard called Beniah. He was part of the 30. He was in the wilderness. Uh, he was with David through his entire kingship. He was actually with David when he turned the kingdom over to Solomon. He was there his whole life. Who's that person that knows all about you? They're with you in the good times, bad times. They can tell you anything about them. They can ask, what are you thinking? They know your whole story. For me, it's the guy that had planted the church with me, a guy named Steve Cole. He's still the worship leader of the church that I had. He was on staff before I was. And even though I was the boss, he never hesitated to tell me the truth. One time I'm being spiritual and I'm fasting. I've been fasting for three days and then we had a staff meeting and I was hangry. <laughs> I, I'm never a good faster. I, uh, I mean, I got to know the Holy Spirit's told me to do it. And he pulled me aside after staff meeting. I know I could fire him. But he said, Bubba, everything you're accomplishing by fasting, you're undoing by your attitude. The word of the Lord to you is go get a hamburger. (laughs) Hey, you got anybody that can tell you when you're on your high horse that the word of the Lord to you is go get a hamburger? Who's your friend? Who's your companion? Who's that that just tells, that just cuts through it all? Now, giving you six names I've asked you to identify in your life who's that apostle, that person calling you to your greater purpose. Who is that prophet that will spoil your party when the party needs spoiled? Who is that pastor that loves you no matter what? Who is that teacher that's always introducing new things? Who's that evangelist that's making Jesus big in your life, inviting others? And who's just that companion that walks with you in life? Who is that? Uh, if you want to go to the next uh, slide, you have to be deliberate about building your team. You cannot be passive. You've got to be the one who initiates going out and having these people in your life. They will not come to you. You have to go to them. And you know what? When What will happen is if you're gifted in a particular way, you might actually... Say, so, oh, yeah, I don't particularly like hanging around with prophetic people because they uh, spoil my party. But I have to be delivered to say, I'm going to go put myself in a position where they can speak into my life. You have to, what I want you to think through is if you do not currently have those type people in your life, ask the Holy Spirit to show you who could play that function in your life. Uh, home group is often an excellent place to meet them you can church is ask God to show you who these six people are in your life who gives you life and can be trusted contact them this week now here's what's even more fascinating which one of these roles do you play in somebody else's life How do you do that for somebody else? Because God will not be mocked. 
Whatsoever a person plants, that's what he's going to harvest. If you want these type people in your life, then start being this to other people's lives. Now, the only one you got to sort of hold back on is the prophetic because if they don't invite you into that, you can get into some real trouble. But all of us can call out destiny in other people's lives. All of us, all the time, think about, man, the good things about people that we failed to tell them. You know, if nothing else, now, they're not paying me to do this, but Children's Church could really, really use some people to call some destiny out. You know what we told our children's pastor? You have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers in your Sunday school class. What are you doing to empower them for their destiny for the kingdom of God? I mean, that changes the whole thing. You're not changing diapers. You're not just playing with kids. You're bringing forth destiny. You've got to do that. I really want to encourage you in that area. And so... We're going to pray. We're going to invite the worship team to come up here. And we're going to, uh, after worship, we're going to go into some ministry time. But the Lord's really going to challenge some of you. So, Father, just as the worship team is coming, Lord, I pray that you would bring to the mind of men and women that are here right now, who are these people in their lives? Who's missing? Who's off the team, Father? Lord, and give them that ability, give them that opportunity to reach out to that person. Lord, I bless that in Jesus' name. Amen.